Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. You know, it's the confluence of like the myth of football as quote unquote escape from a situation where you might not have a lot of options. It's the fact that the teams are really big and they can handle a lot of people. And it's the fact that they have a disproportionate number of black boys and men who would be at a high risk for this kind of violence anyway. So it's like, it's a weird sort of the, the intersection of those factors made it to me a very interesting lens through which to look at gun violence in America. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week we're talking to journalist Natalie Weiner from SB Nation. She wrote an amazing, amazing long read called The Line of Fire, Gun Violence, High School Football, and What Coaches Are Doing to Keep Their Players Safe. It's a harrowing read, and I wanted to break it down with her. Uh, Also, I've got some choice words about what happened last week with Colin Kaepernick and his refusal to bend to Roger Goodell's will. You're not going to want to miss that. I've also got Just Stand Up and Just Sit Your Ass Down Awards. But first, let's talk to Natalie Weiner. What put you on the trail of this topic? Um, Well, basically... I was just sort of like looking for stories as you do. And while I was still at Bleacher Report, I came across um, Trayvon Richardson, who's one of the names that you can see at the bottom of the piece. Um, You know, kind of what I would soon realize was like a typical story. You know, he was 18. He had just like literally just graduated from high school, was about to go to college on a football scholarship was held up for his graduation money. Um, Like just like the night before or after his graduation, I can't remember in Atlanta. Um, And I was like, this is terrible. You know, this is 
an alarming tragedy, you know, and it was surprising to me that it was only being covered locally. Um, and in that story, they noted that um, his death, his murder was part of a series of murders in Atlanta. Um, they had had sort of an uh, unusually high number of teenage murders, like in that um, in that month. It was like May of 2018. And so I was like, maybe his story is a way into this question of gun violence in Atlanta. You know, that was sort of my initial thought. And I brought that to my editors and they weren't interested. <laughs> um, and I was like, okay, I feel like this is a pretty important story, but whatever. Um, and I just kept looking at That's it. Always it's always a great feeling, isn't it? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I know it well. Right. And it's just like, I mean, cause you know, dead high school kids is not exactly clickbait, you know? Um, which I get, but also, you know, it's important to me. So anyway, I just sort of kept thinking about it and kept looking into it. And I just found so many more examples, you know, the more I looked and I was like, how, you know, what is the way into this thing? And it took me, you know, this was like months of sort of, you know, having it on the back burner and thinking about it. And eventually I just had a Google alert that was like telling me, you know, when a lot of these stories were happening. And I was like, I think I just have to go through and find as many examples as I can from the recent past. And then just trying to think of the way to get into it. I just like the coaches seemed like the best sources, you know, that would be easily accessible to me as a person who didn't really have the resources to go everywhere. Um, you know, and once I moved to SB Nation, they were more open to the idea of, of doing some kind of story. And, you know, we talked through it. And to me, it just seemed like it had to kind of be a nationally oriented thing, you know, that if I if I were to make it local, that that would be doing a disservice to the thing. Because I think these stories get told most of the time as one offs, you know, like this, that, that was sort of the thing that I wanted to challenge. It's like, well, we keep telling the story the same way, you know, football players shot and killed on the local news, or maybe, you know, it gets picked up nationally, but it's still presented as an anomaly. And it's like, it's not, you know, it's a trend. So it reminded me so much of, uh, have you ever read the work of, uh, Gary Young, where he, I don't think so. he wrote this book, um, a day in the death, another day in the death of America. And he mm -hmm. looks at just at random people who've been killed wow. by gun violence as a way to not become callous to this or right you know it's so easy to let it pass no, through you it's like how do we decide what stories matter you know and the more I thought about it it was like the fact that Xavion Dobson you know got so much attention you know for what was it was justified I mean that was a terrible terrible thing that happened but it's like so why do we care so much more about him than all these other kids who more or less suffered the same fate you know I'm like what was the difference there and what is it how does it serve us how does it make our lives easier to like act as though he is the only one to have suffered this fate you know I don't know now the number of former football players who've died gun violence in recent years like that number just popped and was so shocking uh can yeah. you speak a little bit about that number and maybe like help us understand why why it's, it feels i mean not concentrated but why there is this common thread of football players dying from gun violence either at the hands of of the police or in street violence yeah i mean it's an interesting confluence of factors um 
from what I can tell, you know, and I'm not like a sociologist or anything. And I did want to maybe get academic voices in the thing, but it just sort of didn't work out that way in the end. But um, basically, so the figure that I ended on was 190 uh, current or former football players, 25 and under in America, you know, which is a pretty small population, you know, so it's like, this is a tiny, tiny slice of gun violence victims nationally. But I think, one, we know about them because as I wrote about, like, they're often identified as football players, you know, for whatever reason, that is the detail that we, you know, choose to point out instead of like, they were in band, or they were in math club, or whatever, you know what I mean? It's like, this is the thing that people know about. And that's the way that they sort of get categorized in um, when their murders are covered. Um, and I think it, there's a, a number of reasons that happens. I think the fact that they're football players presents as shocking, you know, like that somebody who is quote unquote doing the right things would wind up in this position is sort of alarming to people. And so that's why that detail gets drawn out. But I also think the people who play football a lot of times in these communities where there is a high rate of violence are young boys who would be at a higher risk to be part of it anyway. Um, because, you know, most gun violence victims in America are black men and boys, you know, that's the highest, um, that's where it happens at the highest rate. And so like, and these boys, their football is like sort of a catch-all, you know, for anybody who doesn't necessarily have another passion um, or whatever, it's like, they can go play football. The teams are usually no cut, you know, they're enormous, like they can fit as many people as they want. And so it's sort of like, you know, if you don't have anything better to do, come be on the football team a little bit, you know, and like, you might be on the freshman team or JV or, or varsity. But like, the point is that like, if you don't have another place to go, you can play football. And so then that winds up sort of maybe being their identifying factor if they, if they get caught in one of these situations. But, you know, it's the confluence of like the myth of football as quote unquote escape from a situation where you might not have a lot of options. It's the fact that the teams are really big and they can handle a lot of people and it's the fact that they have a disproportionate number of black boys and men who would be at a high risk for this kind of violence anyway. So it's like, it's a weird sort of, the, the intersection of those factors made it, to me, a very interesting lens through which to look at gun violence in America. So what's your reaction when you hear coaches and uh, authority figures talk about football in uh, the inner city and black neighborhoods as a bulwark against gun violence. I mean, it makes me really sad, frankly, you know, because it shouldn't be that way. <laughs> you know, it shouldn't be no, no one person, no one outlet or activity should be put in the position of having to save children's lives. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's unfair to everyone. And it's not as, you know, the point of the story is that it's, fallible you know not that it doesn't work because I do think that you know these any kind of structure or activity is going to be something that keeps kids hopefully out of danger for a little while longer but like it's fallible and people will die anyway and it's like that's a it's this is such a bigger structural problem you know that we're looking at here and football is just you know it's it's never going to solve it it's just it's a it's a fix it's a, you know, it's a community-based um, intervention that has a 
degree of success, but it's never going to be wide reaching enough to solve it. Yeah, it's said as commonsensical, but you're absolutely right. When you take a step back from it and this game Mm -hmm. is being said is going to prevent people from getting shot and killed. Right. It's It's just just... absurd. Like, it's almost like that's a policy response as a, or it's a substitute for having a real policy response. It is. And it's like, that's what these coaches are doing. They're stepping in where the police won't, where the government hasn't, you know, like they're trying to create a solution for this problem that is so much bigger than themselves. I mean, you asked about like what my reaction was to seeing all these deaths. I mean, at, at the start, like I just, I had a Google doc, you know, where I was just like putting links of everyone I would find, you know, and then I was like, oh, I'm going to have to make a spreadsheet. You know, the moment when I realized there are that many names that I'm going to have to make a spreadsheet of dead children and young men, like that is just, it was so devastating (laughs) to think Mm. about, you know. Well, did you go into this eyes wide open or uh, did you actually learn some stuff that you could not guess going into putting this story together? Oh, I think, I mean, I learned all of it. You know, I mean, when I started, I had... I had no sense of the of the real breadth of this problem. I think I I knew in a superficial way, you know, that like that gun violence is a massive American problem, obviously, that, you know, the sort of myths about like what about Chicago or whatever are deeply flawed and <laughs> don't don't show the whole picture at all, but really getting in the weeds and sort of looking at these stories, it's like this is it's so much bigger than we're talking about, you know? And I had no sense of like what it was like to be on the ground and sort of dealing with that, you know? And I, I would say I still don't really have a sense cause I haven't lived it, but I have a better sense because I've, I've talked to people who have and like, you know, talking to these kids, like, like Raekwon and Jaheem who are sort of my main characters in the piece, like, Raekwon, you know, talking to him and asking him if he had ever been affected by gun violence. And he just looked at me like I was crazy, you know? And he's like, of course, you know, he started counting people and he like couldn't count, you know, like just sitting there and talking with him about this before football practice as though it's like a normal thing to discuss, you know? And it's, that's the kind of trauma that these kids are dealing with, even if they aren't in a shooting themselves, you know, this is just, it's just around everywhere. And yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. The story is gun violence, high school football, and what coaches are doing to keep their players safe. It's a tremendous long read by Natalie Weiner. We have her uh, on this program right now. Uh, I I wanted to ask you about that last part of the title, what coaches are doing to keep their players safe. Um, Did you find that different coaches had different philosophies about this? Or what are coaches? What, What are they even able to do? I mean, so the the ones I wound up focusing the most on were coaches in areas with high rates of violence, you know, so it's not a universal thing. And, you know, that's why I tried to include uh, James Williams, the coach in Houston, who had just lost his first player, you know, because his just to show the difference in the kind of response, because for them, you know, it's like Texas high school football, whatever, you know, there's not quite so much of this idea that his program is necessary to like protect his his players. Um, but I think a lot of the same themes emerged from each coach. I think they probably have slightly different, uh, approaches, you know, uh, cause whatever, they're different people and it's different places, but basically the, 
underlying principle is just trying to keep the kids as busy as possible. You know, um, the more programming that they can offer, it's just more time that they're not outside. You know, it's like literally it's that just sort of basic. And, you know, I think the coaches are in a particularly interesting position because they oftentimes have a closer relationship with players than maybe like a teacher and student would, you know, like they're like texting them, you know, and that can be, I think a little bit controversial. I didn't really have space to totally get into it, but a coach in St. Louis who, um, was definitely in this same realm of like coaches who are very intentionally trying to protect their players and get them to college and all this stuff. Uh, he was actually fired for, misuse of social media or something like he was like dming a player or something and they just like fired him outright and he was like a really beloved coach and he actually ran the this um missouri minority coaches association you know so he's like very in the middle of stuff and so his firing was sort of controversial but coaches are often in a position to sort of cross some of these boundaries that might otherwise be in place for other administrators for teachers you know just because that relationship is given a different weight um, so yeah, so they're texting them and checking in on them and all that kind of stuff. Wow. And it's so beyond the job description of the exactly. coach. Again, it's like you take a step back from it and saying like, whoa, this is not what most people think about when they think I want to coach a team. Right, right. And it's like, you know, I think a lot of people, there is this myth, you know, maybe like Friday Night Lights perpetuated kind of thing. <laughs> like, you know, like Coach Taylor is definitely sort of mentor to his charges. But it, this is even maybe to a different level, because the danger is like so much more urgent. Um, and, you know, sometimes it, it depends, but the kids may or may not have like a lot of support at home, you know, and I think the coaches definitely feel that they have to intervene more in certain spaces, um, depending on how much, like Raekwon comes from a two parent household, you know, which is just regular, like his parents are both working class Newark people. And, you know, Jaheem is an orphan who is living with his aunt, you know, so it's like everybody has a different situation. Um, but yeah, they're, they're really just trying to take care of nuts and bolts. You know, do they have food? Can they do their homework? You know, like, are they safe walking home from school? It's like, it's that granular. Mm. Now, I mean, the the story that you put together was, was, a, fan, was a really fantastically important read. Um, loved it. Recommend all the listeners to check it out. Um, it also felt like the start of something. Could you see revisiting this topic? Definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think about how, you know, because I took such a broad-based approach and I'm just... I've been reflecting, like, I don't know what the best way forward is yet, but I definitely, like, I don't think I can abandon it. Um, I went to this conference in Philadelphia, like, right before the piece published, and it actually helped me a lot. Um, it was called the Better Gun Violence Reporting Summit. And just hearing from all the reporters who are doing this kind of work all the time, you know, like, this is my first foray into any kind of, like, real hard news, crime-adjacent stuff. I'm, I'm an entertainment writer, you know, um, but just hearing sort of the different considerations they had and how they approached this, it's like, you know, I just think we can't afford to, to really abandon this and maybe more largely the role that sports play in communities where 
we see sort of some of America's systemic issues manifesting the most visibly, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, if nothing, it's a lens for the absence of urban policy that exists in this country. Mm-hmm. I mean, pe- yeah. you know, nature abhors a vacuum. People will find a way to fulfill these social roles without uh, urban policy or government intervention. And oftentimes it's tragicomic what people yeah. are forced to cobble together. No, definitely. And it's like, I didn't, I realized in retrospect, sort of, that it could read as like one of those, like, this woman was walking 20 miles a day to work and her coworkers bought her a car. And, you know, that's supposed to be like a feel good story. <laughs> and like, I obviously don't want to portray it that way, you know, but I do want it to be ultimately hopeful. I think there has to be a way of like recognizing the fact that the system is broken and also recognizing the kind of uh, generous and like truly community minded work that people are doing to try and fix it to the degree that they can, you know, and like accepting both of those things is true at once, like not necessarily making it a feel good story, but still making it hopeful, if that makes sense. Yeah, her name is Natalie Weiner. Uh, her outlet is SB Nation. The article is called The Line of Fire, Gun Violence, High School Football, and What Coaches Are Doing to Keep Their Players Safe. Natalie, please come back uh, the next <laughs> time you write something. It'd be terrific. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. No, that was fantastic. Uh, we'll be back right after this, after a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast. Okay, look, I'm talking to all you past, present, and future MyBookie players. For this week only, MyBookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game. That's your Thanksgiving contest. Simply choose a team against the spread for up to 250 bucks. If you win, congrats. You got extra holiday spending money. If you lose, congrats. MyBookie will give you all of your money back. It's a no-brainer because you literally cannot lose. It's no risk, all gravy. It doesn't matter whether you're an experienced player or a first-time customer, MyBookie welcomes all to come play. So quit waiting around and sign up today. Just log on to MyBookie.ag, that's MyBookie.ag, and make your first deposit with promo code EDGE, and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar to jumpstart your bankroll, and that's on top of the risk-free bet. Let me repeat, that's a guaranteed deposit match and a risk-free bet for this week only. So if you are a true football fan, you do not want to let this opportunity pass you by. You simply cannot lose. Make sure you do your part to support your team this season. Hop on the gravy train and get in on the action with mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. And now we're back with the Edge of Sports podcast. We are back on the Edge of Sports podcast. I now have some choice words about Colin Kaepernick. Look, the man hasn't played in the NFL for three years because he dared say that black lives matter in a league that treats black bodies as disposable. He dared take a league that uses patriotism, nationalism, and militarism as marketing ploys and turn that stage on its head. He dared to be a free man in a league that preaches obedience. It is crystal clear after last Saturday in Atlanta that the reason Colin Kaepernick does not play in the NFL has nothing to do with ability. In a workout session that started as a hastily assembled circus of the NFL's making, Kaepernick threw a series of high-velocity darts and 50-yard-plus bombs with a flick of his wrist. 
At age 32 and visibly in the best shape of his life, he clearly has the ability and desire to compete. What he doesn't want is to play as a broken person for a league determined to break him. Roger Goodell and the NFL tried to bend Kaepernick to their will this week. They scheduled him for a tryout with only three days notice. They insisted he come to Atlanta and work with a coach not of his choosing at the Falcons headquarters. They told him that it would be on a Saturday when coaches and top scouts are busy either preparing for Sunday games or analyzing college contests. They did not tell him who the receivers he would work with would be. They wanted him to sign a bizarre, non-standard injury waiver that would have prevented Kaepernick from suing the league for collusion in the future. Most egregiously, they insisted that the workout not be open to the press. Roger Goodell wanted all the positive public relations for ending the collusion against Kaepernick and none of the transparency. Kaepernick then committed a grave sin in the eyes of not only the NFL, but also the pathetic coterie of members of the sports media who also work for broadcast partners with the league. He showed up in Atlanta and refused to work out at the Falcons facility under the watchful eye of an NFL chosen coach. He instead went to a high school an hour away with his own receivers. He kept it open to the press, several of whom live-streamed the workout over social media, preventing the NFL from spinning the event as if he no longer had the goods. Kaepernick wore a shirt that said Kunta Kinte, a reference to LeVar Burton's African name in the miniseries Roots, a name Burton's character clung to even as he was whipped to accept that his new name would be Toby. Of the reported 24 team reps that showed up at the Falcons' headquarters, only a handful had the courage to get in their cars and follow Kaepernick and the assembled media to his tryout. Then Kaepernick, as expected, balled out and then said to everyone, I've been ready for three years. I've been denied for three years. We all know why. I came out there and showed it today in front of everybody. Kaepernick then thanked the scouts who were there and said, When you go back, Tell your owners to stop being scared. Now immediately afterwards, the NFL's media prize fighters put the day's tomfoolery on Kaepernick's shoulders, as if he was the one who set this dumpster on fire. This is gaslighting. It is a bizarre world analysis and should be recognized as such. These journalists, some of whom really want you to sign up for Disney+, Plus are doing little more than sucking up to the multi-billion dollar teat of a league dependent on a compliant media's using Kaepernick as a negative object lesson for any other player who might try to flex their personal or political will. Then, as if by clockwork, Jay-Z, who is being paid handsomely to be Roger Goodell's racial justice whisperer, let it leak that he was disappointed with Colin's actions and believes he turned a legitimate workout into a publicity stunt. Oh, Sean Carter. It's the NFL that staged a publicity stunt. All Kaepernick did was refuse to play their game. Now that the spectacle in Atlanta is over, we are actually back where we started. Everyone knows that Kaepernick has the ability to play. Everyone knows that he is only being kept out for political and PR reasons. The question will be whether there is one team that is willing to put their team's success over their political prejudices. This is where we have been for three years, and this is where we remain. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. 
People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and, and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it. But we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now it's time for the Just Stand Up Award. Just stand up and just sit your ass down. The Just Stand Up Award goes to Colin Kaepernick's compadre, Eric Reed When he was asked about Colin Kaepernick's workout, this is what he said. Uh, It's been what Colin's been waiting on for three years. Um... We've been telling y'all that he stayed ready. He's been working out five times a week, and he proved that. There was the, all these false narratives around Colin's ability to play this game. Um, I was on the San Francisco team that was ranked last in the league in defense um, that led the lead in, league in drop passes, and he still, I think, had top five touchdown-interception ratio in NFL history, despite all of that. And people coming out here and saying that he can't play the game, when I know it's, that's not true. The whole point of this workout, despite the PR circus that the NFL made this by only giving them three hours notice to accept the workout, despite them denying transparency, Colin simply asked for media, for you, people like you, to be at the workout so you can capture the footage so the people and the public can see. The NFL turned that down. They wanted Colin to sign a waiver that relinquished his employment rights instead of just a standard liability waiver, which Colin and his representatives sent them They turned that down. The whole goal of this was to show everybody that Colin is ready to play this game. He he took his workout to a different location, and he showed that. He proved that. It was reported that his arm was elite. It's always been that way. So why is the NFL, why is Jay-Z, why is all these other pundits trying to slander Colin for him protecting himself and wanting transparency? The goal was accomplished. Colin proved that he can play this game. He proved that he can throw the ball elite. That's what an NFL executive said. The point of the workout was to show that he could play the game, was to show that he could throw the ball, and he did that. The NFL wanted to control the narrative by not letting independent media into the workout to document the workout. They, were gonna be, they wouldn't even tell him who's going to run his routes for him. They wouldn't even give him a script for the workout. Is Colin supposed to trust the organization that's blackballing him? He's not, he's not that naive. He protected himself, he protected his own narrative, and he allowed media to see the workout. We've been dealing with the NFL and their legal team for two years now, going on three years. We knew this was a PR stunt from from them from the beginning. And when we got that waiver, we was like, oh, we see now. It's the employment rights. You want him to forfeit his employment rights. So they've never had Colin's best interest at heart. If that were the case, why are they making such a big deal about moving the workout? The point of the workout was accomplished. He showed all 32 NFL teams that he can throw the ball and that he's ready to go. That should be the story. Uh, I talked to David Tepper last week. He told me that they wouldn't be sending a representative, um, but that they would request request the film. So the film's out there. They can see it. Um, I think we could use Collins' help. I think every team in the league could use Collins' help. So uh, I would definitely be excited if you were here. Bold statements from Eric Reed. We need more bold truth talkers, and we all could <laughs> wish we had a friend like Eric Reed. 
uh, the Just Sit Your Ass Down Award. Sit your ass down! It could so easily go to some of the sports yackers who absolutely lied about Colin Kaepernick. That, that would be easy. And we could play tape of them and get all angry and all the rest of it. But the Just Sit Your Ass Down Award this week goes to the wrestling business. That's the pro wrestling business. I got a message from a pro wrestler named David Starr, a terrific guy. And he's very pro-union in the wrestling business. And he's somebody who has been a guest on this show before. So go to our archives if you want to hear my interview with a very pro-union, uh, pro-political engagement pro wrestler. This is what Dave Starr sent to me. Uh, by the way, one of the federations that's very famous is called Ring of Honor. And they're owned by Sinclair Broadcasting, the right-wing news outlet. This is what David Starr uh, sent me. A ring of honor owned by Sinclair Broadcasting worker just got fired for speaking out against the company not having a concussion protocol and allowing her to work a show the day after she was concussed. She met with ring of honor management, specifically Joe Coff, to discuss how they could improve the working conditions. Soon after, she was fired via email. Her name is Kelly Klein. And people should follow Kelly Klein at Real Kelly Klein on Twitter. Now, as far as WWE goes, Triple H, the person who effectively runs WWE with his father-in-law, Vince McMahon, quote, also just came out and said that he finds workers going to social media to discuss issues are immature, and he doesn't understand the practice. Meanwhile, WWE implies release from contract if a worker speaks about organizing or unionizing. Look, the wrestling business is dirty as sin. Lately, I've been watching AEW, which I actually recommend. It seems much more uh, worker-friendly and wrestler-friendly. Hopefully, they'll be unionized soon. But as far as WWE goes and Ring of Honor goes, please sit your ass down in a big pile of your Saudi blood money and get your asses off my TV. Well... That's all the time we have for this week's show. Thank you so much to everybody out there for listening. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. 